Blog Talk Radio. Good morning, everyone. This is Johnny Tan, author from My Mama's Kitchen, Food for the Soul, Recipes for Living. Welcome to From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio Show. My guest for this morning is novelist Deborah Gao. Deborah abandoned her love for theater to take over the family flooring business and ended up running a wholly owned subsidiary of DuPont. After leaving DuPont, she coached entrepreneurs and corporate executives and created and guided leadership seminars for women. Finally, she returned to her dream of living a creative life by writing. Her first novel, The Dreams Teacher, was named a finalist in Debut Fiction for 2018 National Jewish Book Awards and won the Indie Reader Discovery Award in Literary Fiction. Synchronicities on the Avenue of the Saints dealt with subjects of love, acceptance, and the importance of connection. How does the weight of the past lead to awareness and expensiveness in the present? And when can everyday magic step in and to help? Deborah and I will be having a conversation about her remarkable life's journey and synchronicities on the avenue of the saints. Good morning, Deborah. Welcome to From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio. How are you doing this morning? I'm great, Johnny. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Wonderful. It is a pleasure to have you with me. Synchronicities on the Avenue of the Saints is massively and beautifully written. It is from the heart and for the heart. So although I know it's a novel, congratulations. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Wonderful. Let us start by getting to know you a little better. Please give us a quick walkthrough of your life from childhood to the present moment. And by the way, we do have the whole hour, so... You're good. <laughs> oh, well, I, I will not. I will not start with. I was born on a dark and stormy night. I'll, uh, I'll fast forward a, a little bit from that. But um, no, basically, you know, I'm somebody that's been. I've been lucky for much of my life. I had a fabulous childhood. Um, I loved theater, and I was always in a play, and was very influenced by uh, playwrights. I loved to read, you know, Shakespeare and Ibsen mm-hmm. and and mm-hmm. Miller and even all the greats, and I loved memorizing lines. So I was wired uh, to tell story. I think from a from a young age. But uh, life took a turn. Uh, I didn't have the nerve, honestly, to go to New York and try my hand at being an actor. I got. Uh, married right out of college. I needed to have a job. Uh, all of this coincided, um, I'm fast forwarding a little bit, but coincided with my father getting ill and there was no one to take over the family business. I had a brother who was a doctor, a brother who was a lawyer, a sister who was a lawyer, and I was kind of the happy dumb one. So I um, <laughs> I stepped in to take over the business and um, unfortunately, my father died shortly after that. And on a Friday, I was working in the company. And on a Monday, I was president. And um, I just kind of flew blind through that period of time, mm-hmm. 
found out that I was actually pretty good in business and that theater was an incredible background for business because all I had to do was pretend that I was the head of the company. And as long as I could pretend, everybody just kind of assumed that, okay, <laughs> I guess she really is. <laughs> so it uh, it worked out okay. I built the company into the largest market share company of its kind in the Midwest. Mm-hmm. And at that point in time, uh, there were some other entrepreneurs who were trying to consolidate the commercial flooring business on a national basis. DuPont was looking for a way to protect their access to the fibers mm-hmm. business downstream because DuPont makes fiber for carpet. And mm-hmm. so they bought this group of um, companies. And when that mm-hmm. happened, they asked me to become the head of that subsidiary. It was a a subsidiary that had a half a billion dollar uh, pro forma with 70 locations around the country. Um, And so I started that journey of traveling around and and helping to manage and grow the subsidiary. Uh, Life got in the way. I uh, went through a divorce. I fell in love with a man who lived in Southern California. The subsidiary was located in Kennesaw, Georgia, even though DuPont's mm-hmm. located in Wilmington, but yeah. they have uh, holdings all over the place. And I thought, well, okay, I'll just run the subsidiary from Southern California. And DuPont said, are you insane? There's no way that's happening. <laughs> so I resigned from my position to head out west. There was um, someone in the organization, a gentleman who was my heir apparent, who was running mm-hmm. the West Coast. I gave him my job. I took his job. Mm-hmm. I did that for a few years on the West Coast, and then I just hit a brick wall, and I didn't want to be in that corporate world anymore, and I exited. I I made my transition, so to speak, by um, coaching entrepreneurs and corporate execs. Mm -hmm. I had some people that came to me and said, we need your help. Would you be willing Mm -hmm. to do that? And so that's how that started. And that led me to do some leadership programs uh, for women because I certainly had experience there. But honestly, after a few years of that, I started to feel that that was an empty journey for me. And I was looking to get back to creativity. I was looking to slow down. I was looking to get back to my roots of who I really was. And I thought, well, gosh, I can't do theater anymore because mm-hmm. – um, I didn't want to leave my husband every night to do rehearsals in community theater, and I certainly wasn't going to schlep up to L.A. and and try mm-hmm. that whole thing. So I thought, what can I do that would be similar to theater? I took a writing course. I discovered, oh, my God, it feels exactly the same way. I'm emoting with imaginary characters. Even though the lines aren't written, I'm... I'm having this emotional experience, and I can just take my imagination and Mm -hmm. stick it onto the page. And making that discovery was so exciting for me. So I have been um, really devoted to writing ever since. That journey started for me about 20 years ago of taking my first course and uh, daily having a practice of writing, and um, I just love it. So that's my journey in a nutshell. Fantastic. I did. I I left out the story of a few bad dates, but I figured your you know, your audience doesn't need to hear that. <laughs> there you go. Who were the major influences when you were growing up? Well, my parents uh, and I had siblings. I was the baby of mm-hmm. four, 
And so I, and I had a very close family unit. Um, both parents were very uh, huge influencers, but my mother in particular, she had mm-hmm. been, <coughs> excuse me, she had been an actor back in the day when she was young. She ran away from St. Louis um, where she was living and went to New York to join uh, a repertory company called Eva mm-hmm. Legallion's Repertory Theater. Apparently, according to her, it was well-known at the time. Mm-hmm. My grandfather was so upset, and he took a train to New York and grabbed my mother by the hair, <laughs> so the story goes, and dragged her back to St. Louis because no daughter of his was going to be an actor. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I was so influenced by that, and I thought, well, right. I'm going to be an actor. And then, yeah. lo and behold, I never had the, the nerve to uh, to actually do that when I was young. Interesting. But you brought up a very interesting point when you were talking about your life's journey, because at a young age, I presume, you, like I say, you took over the family business. And right. you're right, because in that position, in any executive position, uh, I don't – let me phrase it correctly also here. We're always acting out a role. <clears throat> That's right. Excuse me, as well. And we're acting out a role, and now it depends on the motives, you know, if it's sincere or it's not sincere. And obviously, uh, you adapted to want to do it sincerely, but at the same time, uh, the acting out in a role develops that self confidence, and it's well, a trigger you know, effect. It, mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's true. I mean, I I clearly wanted to do the very best job I could. In that role, and I and I believe ultimately I did. I, I mean, I gave mm-hmm. it a lot of passion, and I cared about the people that worked for me. But right. starting off in anything, I think no matter what mm-hmm. you're doing, um, you ha- you you are growing into the job you're doing, and it takes mm-hmm. a certain amount of belief and hope in order to get there. So mm-hmm. you pretend at the very beginning of that, and you hope that things will fall into place. And so, I, mm-hmm. I, I mean, I think that's true of almost anything we try. That's um, correct. It's been true for me in the writing journey. I mm-hmm. pretended to be a writer until I really was. Um, and I, I can remember at the beginning of my writing journey, people mm-hmm. saying, well, what do you do? What are you doing now? Mm-hmm. And I felt so uncomfortable saying, I'm a writer. But I kept practicing saying that. People would say, what yeah. do you do? I'm a writer. It felt really uncomfortable. I felt like I was an imposter. How dare I call myself a writer? I still feel that way sometimes now. Mm-hmm. But if you practice saying something and you get comfortable with that, then you start to believe it and you start to act in ways that support that journey. So whatever you're doing, you know, I'm a business person. Keep saying that. I I yes. run a company. Keep saying that. You know, I'm a talk show host. You have to keep saying that. It It is important until you absolutely believe the thing that you have inhabited. Does, does that make sense? Oh, yes. Yes, definitely. So true. Can you share with us the synchronicity experience that led you to a spiritual awakening? Because I know in learning about you and the book and so forth, there is a certain process that you went through, whether it's by design or by intention on your side of uh, yourself personally, you went through uh, several experiences in your life. Yes. 
So, you know, um, <laughs> part of your question makes me laugh because, um, you know, what led me to a spiritual awakening. The only reason I laugh at that is I'm not sure I'm spiritually awakened. I mean, don't, don't get me wrong. I, I think I'm I think I'm a better individual, you know, than mm-hmm. hopefully mm-hmm. I was a decade ago. I and mean, I think we're all mm-hmm. on a path. But for me, right. Um, there are so many different levels of being spiritually awakened. I'm 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 better, but I'm but I'm mm-hmm. not there yet until and and I'm going to guess that that's going to be many lifetimes from now. But um, but um, what what happened to me? Um, I gosh, uh, let me start because part of it leads into the the work of the book and started yeah. part of it is spiritual awakening. Um, I when when I was on at the beginning, very beginning of of my writing journey. Was at, at a time when it was a very dark time in my life personally. I had a f- very close family member who um, was really struggling with bipolar disorder, and I things were just so dark and chaotic, and I was heartbroken, um, and I was looking for something that might help my family member and traditional western approaches to mental illness were not helping uh he didn't want to take the drugs that were offered which is a common theme for anybody with bipolar disorder they don't want to be on medication and talk therapy wasn't helping hospitalization didn't help it was just really it was very dark time and i happened to read a passage from a an alternative medicine book and it was about an african shaman his name is dr maladoma same who took an 18 year old bipolar patient to live with his tribe in africa because in his tribe uh, the beliefs are that anybody that has a mental illness is actually um a gatekeeper to the spiritual world, or they're a healer Mm -hmm. in the making. And they are the ones that are trying to bring messages back from the spiritual world. And those messages are chaotic. We don't understand what the messages are, but they're trying to communicate. And because we can't understand them, we view them as someone who's mentally ill instead of a, a healer in the making. And I was really struck by that and, and very moved by that. And I thought, gosh, you know, maybe maybe that's what's happening here. Um, maybe there's no blame involved. Maybe he's really a spiritual healer in the making. So uh, this Dr. Maladema Sume, who is a very learned man, he's got a Ph.D. from the Sorbonne, a Ph.D. from Brandeis University. I read all of his books. I found out he would be teaching a weekend intensive about three hours north of me, and I drove up there to spend the weekend learning from him. I had um, an African divination uh, with him, and that led me to write this story. So that was both part of the spiritual awakening, and it was also the beginnings of plot that became synchronicities on the Avenue of the Saints. So while I, at the very beginning of of learning um, indigenous belief and Mm -hmm. embracing that, um, there were many synchronicities that would happen in my life. So 
if any of your listeners don't know what a synchronicity is, and it's a, it's kind of a you know it's a term that's not rarely used. Um, mm-hmm. Synchronicities, which were uh, kind of pioneered by Carl Jung, but it is also a field of physics. Believe it or not, people mm-hmm. in physics study synchronicities, and what it is is more than one um, kind of a causal experience that lines up and happens to have meaning for you. So, for instance, um, gosh, I'll I'll just make up something. Let's say I'm looking out the window and a red bird happens to land on a branch right outside my window. And I look at the red bird and it's beautiful and I think, oh, you know, what a great red bird. And then the next day I'm on a walk and a red bird happens to land on a branch in front of me. I might look at that and go, oh, my gosh, that's such a coincidence from yesterday. I wonder what that means. Now, those are two different things that may have nothing in common, and yet they have meaning for me in that moment. I might Mm -hmm. be reading a book later that day, and there's a paragraph that mentions a red bird. And so those things line up, and they have meaning. Synchronicities happen to all of us um, all the time. And I believe that when we're on the brink of being on the path, there are are more um, synchronicities available to us um, than at any other time. So I started to note these things, started to make journals of them, and recognize all the time uh, that synchronicities were kind of a common factor in mm-hmm. my life. And when... Um, something would show up that was both physical, but it was psychological. And it was, those things were connected in deep and impenetrable ways in some way. So I would journal about those things and those things became stories. Am am I making any sense or am I really esoteric? Well, no, what happens here is that you are starting to pay attention. You're increasing your self-awareness. Why? And I think that's the underlying current. Why is this happening? Why is John, that? you're exactly right. It it is about it is about paying attention. Um, mm-hmm. When you know writers in in many ways are just people that pay attention to a lot of things, mm-hmm. um, and so that was kind of you know new for me at the beginning of that journey. But you're right. It's all it's all about paying attention. And when I was trying to calm down from my corporate experience because I just really needed to calm down from that constant kind of Mm -hmm. adrenaline flow of what would happen on a day-in, day-out basis. I would just spend hours sitting outside. I I remember being in the backyard and just watching a bee on a flower Mm -hmm. or watching the way the wind fluttered leaves. Just anything to slow down and be meditative in the moment, mm-hmm. and just pay attention to the nature and the world around me. Um, mm-hmm. So if any, if nothing else, that was really the beginning of, of what I like to think is maybe the start of my spiritual awakening. <laughs> I, have many, I have many lifetimes to go, Johnny. I'll <laughs> let you know in a thousand years if I got there. <laughs> you are at your best in this lifetime. How's that? Thank you. <laughs> I like to think that. I like to think that as well. Um, yeah, because uh, you cannot. Uh, you know, tomorrow doesn't matter. Yesterday is forgotten. It's a point of reference, and tomorrow will never be here unless today exists. You are. That's lovely, and that's that's exactly true. Um, 
and it is it is important to note the world around us on a daily basis um get out of your you know your room with your computer and the wires and the things that are attached and go outside and look at nature and notice this absolutely resplendent world around us that has connections at every turn. So it's mm-hmm. something that is important for us to do every day. Well, when you are in your joy space, that's when you are actually, whether you realize it or not, you're in your genius zone. You're in that spot um, where everything else happens. Yeah, no, it's it's really true. It's really true. And I think, you know, that, that was... Um, Part of what led me to leave the business world, and mm-hmm. and you know, let me preface this by saying that I enjoyed very much mm-hmm. um, my my long journey in business. Um, it was you know wonderful and fascinating, and I and I learned so much. But one thing it was not was spiritual, and one thing mm-hmm. it was not was the ability to slow down and really take notice of the things around you, because it was for me it was just again you know adrenaline infused mm-hmm. and fast and um and and a bit and a bit chaotic mm-hmm. uh and the term working hard is true it makes you hard it it can make you hard so i was looking for an opportunity to get back to the softer parts of my life to become less hard and to mm-hmm. be able to slow down to slow down to go fast and that's what um the journey I've been on for, you know, for over, well, almost two decades now. <laughs> Beautiful. By the way, you're listening to From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio. Our podcasts are available on iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitches Radio, Blueberry Podcasting, TuneIn Radio, Mixcloud, Podchaser, Listen Notes, and Hop Hopper. I'm Johnny Tan, your host, and my guest for this morning is novelist Deborah Gell. Her first novel, The Dream Stitcher, was named a finalist in debut fiction for 2000 for the 2018 National Jewish Book Awards and won the Indie Reader Discovery Award in literary literary fiction. Synchronicities on the Avenue of the Saints dealt with subjects of love, acceptance, and the importance of connection. How does the weight of the past lead to awareness? and expensiveness in the present and when can everyday magic step in to help we're having a conversation about her remarkable life's journey and synchronicities on the avenue of the saints deborah please give us a synopsis of synchronicities on the avenue of the saints yeah so um well i want to mention uh before Mm -hmm. i give you the synopsis that um you know It sounds a bit esoteric, but it's actually funny. The book is funny, and I have to mention that because mm-hmm. every time I talk about it afterwards, I think, oh, God, I forgot to tell people it's funny. <laughs> so, I mean, like all novels, there's parts that are funny and parts that are not. Yeah. But it, it is meant um, to kind of bring darkness into light. It's meant to, to kind of be funny. But, um, okay, so the the synopsis of the book is that there's a young 25, 24-year-old um physicist who's on the brink of discovery he's working on the theory that awareness is the fifth dimension and um he he has been bipolar since he was little and his mother who runs a pharmaceutical company had a drug developed for his use 
And at the time the novel takes place, he's been on the drug for about 14 years. Um, His dying great-grandmother tells him about a theft on the night of a pogrom in 1918 and a ghost who wants to avenge the theft of her family. And she comes forward in time and demands that um, the ancestor of the dying grandmother take action to help correct this wrong. This coincides with Noah also meeting um, his, his very good friend, a journalist, introduces him to a shaman who says that the drug Noah is on has disastrous um, effects and he needs to get off it immediately. And his journalist friend also tells him that a nefarious corporation is trying to buy his mother's company and trying to sell the drug. And so these ghosts and the shaman and Noah and his friend all join forces to um, get to the bottom of the issues with the drug, and um, that kind of takes the story forward. So that's that's the beginnings mm-hmm. of the book and what the book is about. Did you have to do a lot of research before writing a novel? Uh, a ton of research. So um, first of all, Noah's a physicist, and so mm-hmm. um, I read a lot of physics books. And I won't pretend uh, to tell you that I'm an expert in physics. I never will be. That will be the journey that will take more than a 1,000 years, Johnny, so in several <laughs> lifetimes. Maybe I'll understand something about physics. But I don't mind reading things I don't understand. So I read mm-hmm. a ton of physics books just to get into the head of how Noah might think and how his thoughts might be formed. Um, I did a lot of research on bipolar disorder and brain function and had to understand uh, that part of the journey and how he might think when he goes through um, a manic episode. Mm -hmm. I did research on drug companies and drugs and how they were how they were manufactured. Um, I did research on Faberge eggs because there are oh, scenes in Russia yeah. about yeah. Faberge eggs that come mm-hmm. uh, that that were the object of theft. I mean, there's so many subjects I had to do uh, research on, and the way I develop characters is I it starts with research. I mm-hmm. I research. I take a lot of notes. And that begins to form what I think the character might be like. Mm-hmm. And I'll start to write down details about the character. You know, what do they look like? Mm-hmm. What are they thinking? What do they uh, want more than life itself? There has to be some driving force of something they want more than life itself. And so that leads me to kind of form character. So it all starts with research. Um, out of that comes plot lines and mm-hmm. what the characters might want. And then I let my right brain take over and I start to um, <laughs> just, you know, meditate and come up with story. So that's mm-hmm. kind of how my how my process works there. Very interesting. Well, you should just be using the layman's term. You know, I daydream a whole lot. <laughs> <laughs> Johnny, you're right. I've made this far more complicated. No, I'm just kidding. If I would just skip the other parts and just daydream, it would be so much quicker. It was like, okay, depending on your crowd, right? Oh, yes. Then I would take all the stuff and I would sit down and lit a candle and meditate. But you said, oh, so in other words, you were just telling me that you daydream a lot, right? 
That's so funny. Well, how did you know I like candles? You must like candles. Is that right? Uh, somewhat. <laughs> That's so funny. I, I don't know how you knew that or if I already said it, but um, before I do each writing session, I light candles. And I call in all the myths that might help me with the writing and, you know, please take my pen. And I go through this whole ritual and then I just sit there and daydream. <laughs> I need I need to just fast forward to the daydream part and forget all the rest. There you go. There the you rest. go. Yeah. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. Just get to the good stuff, you know, so you daydream a lot, right? <laughs> right. But, but the daydreaming does, it is backed by research. I want you to know that it's structured daydreaming. <laughs> There you go. I like that. I like that. The structured daydreaming is much, much better than just daydreaming itself. It's, it's daydreaming with a purpose. There you go. There you go. I like that. The next, I'll use that in my, my speaking engagement. So, okay, guys, there's nothing wrong with daydreaming, okay? The way you explain it to your mom is the structured daydreaming. I think that's great. I see a next book for you, Johnny. It's called Daydreaming with a Purpose. There you go. Contemplation. With a purpose, you see? <laughs> I'm Rick. That's great. Sounds far more sophisticated. <laughs> yes, yes. Tell us a little bit more about bipolar. Yeah, so um, I want to preface this by saying, you know, I'm not, mm-hmm. I'm not a psychiatrist, so anything sure, I sure. say about bipolar disorder, please, you know, um, just take it with a grain of salt. I'm just a lay person trying to translate what, what I um have experienced in my life. So there's a fair amount of bipolar disorder that runs through my family. Um, It is genetically inherited um, and usually is triggered by some stressors. So you're born with the genes um, that predispose you to be bipolar. And, and it is, it's a mental illness that's very common. It's, it's remarkably common. And I think it is becoming more common because of the bipolarity in our world. So when someone is bipolar, they have huge swings of highs and lows. Um, you know, they, they could be prone to mania or they could be prone mm-hmm. to depression. And when they are depressed, it is incredibly, I mean, it is so low and suicide can be a risk. And when they are manic, it is so high. They feel like, you know, um, you're, you're a god. You feel like you're mm-hmm. a god, and that you can do anything, and that anything is possible. And so there's there's an untethering from reality. So someone who is suffering from bipolar, um, or at least bipolar one, has the ability to go from very very low to very very high, and it's difficult for them to incorporate their emotions in a stable way uh, in everyday life. So. Those are kind. Uh, those are kinds of the markers of being bipolar. It is a very. It's a very common disease, and it's a very difficult journey. Um, nobody with bipolar disorder wants to live the life of of having that chaotic uh, disorder in their life when they're high, or the mm-hmm. uh, the debilitating depression when they're low. But part of the Frustration with the disease is that, you know, it is common um, Mm -hmm. for someone with bipolar disorder to not want to embrace medicine that might be helpful. Mm -hmm. There are medicines that are really terrific at at, um, at helping to manage bipolar disorder, but often 
they uh, people complain that it leaves them feeling flat and so they are resistant to taking medicine. Um, so, any rate, that's that's mostly um, a description from a lay person's standpoint of what bipolar yeah. disorder is, and and that's just because I experienced it uh, with family members going through that very difficult journey. Um, uh, but I am not a doctor, so please don't take anything that I say as as a a way to self-diagnose or diagnose somebody close to you. You, you need to get that. Sure, sure. Um, you know, reaffirm. But you want to have someone with first-hand experience, in a sense, because I think that's yep. important. Sometimes, well, you I, have yes, the... I can only I can only tell you what I witness, and and if Precisely. you if you uh, have a concern that either you're bipolar or a loved one is bipolar, then you need to get um, a psychiatrist involved to to make that mm-hmm. determination and to get and to get the right help. Um, but I I have a belief that. Um, that mental illness as a whole and and bipolar disorder um, is on the rise. And Mm -hmm. that because of the pandemic that we're going through, I think all of us are prone to um, be at risk for for more mental illness than we've seen. And I Mm -hmm. am very much concerned that it's kind of the next thing um, that will be on our radar. You know, it's been Mm -hmm. such a chaotic... um, year mm-hmm. and we're not done yet we we have we have um probably at least a good six to nine months of this year to go before things oh, sure. iron out and um we because you know because we're isolated because the world is chaotic because uh we maybe are separated from family i think we're more prone to mental illness um because of our socioeconomic disparities these are things that we need to be watchful for and um i very much uh, i i wanted and i'm glad that the book is out there because i wanted i want there to be a discussion about mental illness on a societal mm-hmm. level uh we don't really talk about it we still don't which is crazy mm-hmm. to me that that in the year you know 2021 we still have some prejudice against mental illness but we have prejudice prejudice against a lot of things don't we Mm -hmm. um so i i think it's important to talk about now because i do believe it's on the rise and i think we are living in a bipolar world our politics there's Mm -hmm. a lot of bipolarity there's bipolarity um in in you know racism and um Mm -hmm. there's bipolarity in our in our in all of our socioeconomic structures and so it wires us for these highs and low you know we're used to seeing the right. news one day things are great the next day things are terrible you know that's that's a, a high and a low in which we're becoming wired and i i think it puts us more at risk right you i agree with you because it's a very slow environmental osmosis process that is affecting our very existence is not something that it's like it's as if someone comes to you and smack you in the face that's an act is very sudden it's immediate but what the danger is is almost like the process of the frog is sitting in the the the, the old uh, uh you know right. example of the frog sitting pot in water, the yeah. pot of water and it's slow boil and before you know it instead of a sauna you know it's cooking you and that's Johnny, it. that's a great analogy. Uh, that that really is a great analogy, and it's true. And and that's that's what I see. And mm-hmm. I I am just so concerned that 
um, because the tethers that we've normally had in society, you know, it's, mm-hmm. they're, they're more apt to crumble. That mental illness will just right. be out of control. Why is this novel relevant today? How does the content help the reader? Well, um, you know, what the what the novel is at its core, I mean, again, you know, it's a novel, mm-hmm. there's characters, sure, sure. it's meant to be fun, and it's meant to take the dark, you know, parts of life and, and give us hope. There, There's a hopeful message about it. Um, but what I also wanted to um, plant the seeds that um, – and and it were things things that I learned from Dr. Maladama Sime when I was studying with him and and, mm-hmm. and reading his books on African indigenous belief is that uh, he has a belief that in the world won't heal until modernity accepts the beliefs of uh, or accepts the precepts of indigenous belief that we need to combine that that we mm-hmm. are separated so this world of wires and concrete and steel has been so cut off from what we knew in our soul ages ago mm-hmm. and until we accept that indigenous belief and incorporate incorporate it into our modern world we cannot heal and so at its core that's what this book is about it is about healing our society by accepting what we knew and had been caught, cut off from um, thousands of years ago. Mm-hmm. And um, so that's that's really what it's – and that's why I think it's relevant today. I think we can all learn from it. I think everyone should study indigenous belief, whether it's mm-hmm. African indigenous belief or – you know, or South American or American Indian or whatever culture you come from, there's been, you know, it's been steeped in indigenous belief, and we have cut ourselves off off from it. Um, mm-hmm. In in the African villages that Dr. Maladama Sime describes, and and what I've studied, ancestors often make the decisions in the village. Mm-hmm. There is a reverence for the ancestor. And when a decision must be made, the ancestors in, are invoked and they weigh in on what should happen and everyone is energized by that ancient wisdom. And so there's a lot of of you know talking to the ancestors in this book as well. So what I'm trying to get through to people is um, – Go back to the core. Go back to the core belief. Don't shut yourself off from what was all our our collective history as mm-hmm. a whole, and um, honor it, incorporate it, use it to get back to who we were. Slow down to go fast. Mm-hmm. So true. So true. Well, in the end, I think your book does allow us to look at things in terms of we all live in a closed system. You cannot create order without creating disorder somewhere else. Right. Good well, or bad is irrelevant. Yes. You see. And and so what's interesting now is that it's a thought process in terms of okay, uh if I do this, that what's the ripple effect? And well people don't see that. Yeah, no, that's true. That's true. Uh 
You know, I, I mean, you you bring up something that's that's um, that I'm not sure I necessarily talked about in the book, but I probably should have. But the the very small acts that we do, whether mm-hmm. they're acts of kindness or mm-hmm. acts of cruelty, have mm-hmm. incredible ripple effects. Mm-hmm. Um, we have seen that as a whole in our society over you know the things that have happened generation after generation here and now they're coming to roost um and and we need to correct some issues of the mm-hmm. past um but you know you're right i mean the things the things we do have consequences in a novel you can see you know very clearly in a short period of time that the journey of characters have consequences that's correct we don't that's see what that in our everyday mm-hmm. Oh, is that what you're trying to get to? Yes, <laughs> because it's sense, a, yeah. you know every action is a reaction, right? And so every right. action there's a ripple effect. Right. Yeah. No, you're right. I mean that's and that's what happens in this book. Uh, things were put into place, and it took mm-hmm. some time for them to come to fruition, mm-hmm. uh, and 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 they do. But that's you know and that's what I love about not only writing novels but reading novels. You can see mm-hmm. in a very you know short compact plot mm-hmm. you see the hero's journey of what mm-hmm. was put in place at the beginning and the things that they had to battle to go through and how it ends at the end it's a hero's journey and i mm-hmm. i wanted to create a new myth with this book kind of a mm-hmm. myth of our modern time of you know what chaotic things did we put into <laughs> place and and how to how do we correct it so mm-hmm. um Thank you for getting to what I was really trying to do in a short period of time. This is why it's important for other people to read your work so they can interpret it for you. (laughs) (laughs) So thanks, Uh, Johnny. (laughs) (laughs) Well, from the site, you know, from the – you're right because, I mean, looking in, that's what one sees. And then, again, it's all uh, based on each individual person uh, reading uh, any – uh, work of you know written work based at that moment in life of that person as well because everybody looks at uh, things from different angles but I sense that because and that's why the question about spirituality whether you know uh, spiritual awakening is not a destination it's a journey in itself and that's why you are at right. your best today not tomorrow nor yesterday love that that's great i have written that down so i so i (laughs) i remember that but you know i mean you're thank you because it when you write something you give it away you you write Mm -hmm. it and then you give it away and you hope the reader um makes their own interpretation and Mm -hmm. and then can mirror back to you what you've really written because honestly sometimes i don't know um, and it's every time somebody says, well, what is this book about? I know that I fail to explain it in the right way because I really mm-hmm. don't know what the book is about. It's up to yeah. the reader to tell me what they think right. the book is about. Um, right. and, and for each person, they might come up with something different or something mm-hmm. strikes them that, it, that I wasn't aware of. Um, I will never forget, I had a good friend who had the fortune to meet Tennessee Williams this mm. was so many mm-hmm. years ago. Mm-hmm. Tennessee Williams, you know, um, was so such a revered playwright. Yeah. And um, he, my friend asked him 
about a line from Streetcar Named Desire. Mm-hmm. And he said, tell me, when Blanche said, you know, I don't remember what he asked, you know, when Blanche said blah, 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 did you mean, you know, this? And Tennessee Williams stared at him and said, huh, I never thought of that, and walked away. So <laughs> that's that's how it is for me. I, I wrote something, I hope, my reader interprets it in a way I think I know what I intended but somebody else might be able to tell me more clearly what the real intent of the book was but uh, what I think it was was an intention to make people aware in our very chaotic world that they need to embrace beliefs of the past and incorporate it into their daily life so true you're listening to From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio, our podcast, available on iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitches Radio, Blueberry Podcasting, TuneIn Radio, Mixcloud, Podchaser, Listen Notes, and Hop Hopper. My guest is novelist Deborah Gal. Her first novel, The Dream Stitcher, was named a finalist in Debut Fiction for the 2018 National Jewish Book Awards and won the Indie Reader Discovery Award in Literary Fiction. Synchronicities on the Avenue of the Saints delves with subjects of love, acceptance, and the importance of connection. How does the weight of the past lead to awareness and expensiveness in the present? And when can everyday magic step in to help? We're having a conversation about her remarkable life's journey and synchronicities on the Avenue of the Saints. I'm your host, Johnny Tan. Deborah. In your book, you talk about medicine, bad medicine, that is. How do you define bad medicine? Um, yeah, so I, I, think, I think we've all had experience uh, with both bad and good medicine. So I talk about good mm-hmm. medicine, too. But um, uh, bad medicine to me means, you know, uh, a medicine that, that was developed with a certain intent, and yet it gives you a side effect that wasn't intended. And I, I think you know we've all seen that um, mm-hmm. in the news and over the years. You know, there'll there'll be a drug that's out for some for for some time. It's out for a decade, and then all of a sudden they find out that oops, uh, the drug caused uh, heart problems or you know whatever whatever issue has has been brought to light about that drug, and. Um, so that's that's what I I wanted to discuss um, in the book because my character, um, you know, as, as I mentioned to you in real life, people with um, with bipolar disorder and perhaps other mental illnesses don't necessarily want to take the medicine because they feel it flattens them. Mm-hmm. I just wanted a discussion about. What what really is good for an individual? What should an individual decide to do? And um, and that's what is appears as good medicine to one person may be bad medicine for someone else. So that was really what I had intended in that. Um, in in no way do I want anyone to read this book and think I am anti. Um, anti-drugs or anti-medicine <laughs> because I'm absolutely not. And I mention that because we're at a time when um, some people are resistant to take the vaccines that are right. offered. And and so here's my plug. Please, please take your vaccine. Um, 
that's that's my belief. I think it's critical and um and I believe for the most I believe in science and I believe that there are is more good medicine than bad medicine. But there are instances when things are developed and it turns out um you know, to have some issues. But oh, sure. I don't um I don't want anyone to come away from reading my book and think, Oh, that's it, not taking that vaccine. <laughs> that is absolutely not my belief. In fact, I've got my vaccines, so so yay. Very interesting. How has writing this novel invokes the essence of your life's purpose? Oh goodness. Well, um, you know, it certainly uh was my way to get on this journey of writing. So my my the Dream Stitcher came out before um Synchronicities on the Avenue mm-hmm. of the Saints, but Actually, Synchronicities was the first book that I that I wrote, um, and so it was the book that put me on a path um, to be comfortable to sit still in a chair and think, and not um, be resistant to the slowness that it takes to write. And so, in many ways, uh, this rewired my brain. The whole writing of this book rewired my brain, and um, and I think um, perhaps you know, just writing this book might have been the whole purpose of my life. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe maybe there's nothing left. I don't know. I hope there's more, Johnny. <laughs> I hope I hope there's um, there's more books to come, but. Um, it's been you know it's a it's a delicious journey and i've done a lot of things in my life that i'm proud of and things in my life that i'm not proud mm-hmm. of um it's been a very human mix of doing good things and doing bad things but when mm-hmm. i think about being in a place that sheer joy that i am sitting still and meditating and letting an imaginary world flow through me. And that's when I feel like I am on purpose. Mm-hmm. And um, isn't that what we're all looking for, is to just feel like we can be on purpose, whether it's for a day, an hour, or a lifelong mm-hmm. journey. I mean, I think that's what we're looking for. So true, so true. How did faith, hope, and love contribute to your life's journey? Um hmm, yeah I that's I think that um it's impossible for me and mm-hmm. I think many people might feel that way to get through a day without um without thinking about faith hope and love um and I hope that those things are very evident in the work I produce mm-hmm. um both um Synchronicities on the Avenue of the Saints and The Dream Stitcher are both novels about faith, hope, and love um, because those are, those are critical cornerstones to being, to being human, to having a, a positive human experience. Um, it takes a lot of faith and hope and love to write a novel, and it takes a lot of faith, hope, and love to let it go. Um mm-hmm. Because it's, you know, you write something and then you don't know how it's going to be received. And 
on any given day you are, you know, thrilled and and devastated with, with how something <laughs> is being received. But, um, you know, I mean, I think those three words, faith, hope, and love, you pick three good ones, are probably um, – more important than than anything else we can cling to and we you know i i think we should all think about that on a daily basis Mm -hmm. Um, we all have to have that in order to get through this very chaotic life life is not easy Um, Mm -hmm. it's a uh, it's a complicated puzzle and um but i i have to feel any day that isn't going my way, that the next one's going to be fantastic, and you just mm-hmm. keep moving through it. Wonderful. What would you like for the readers to gain from reading Synchronicities on the Avenue of the Saints? Yeah, I again, I would like them to feel that um, if they if they're having a tough time, that they can regain who they really are. By slowing down, slow down to go fast, just Mm -hmm. slowing down and get away from your world of concrete and wire and steel and computers and walk outside and slow down. Remember the past, incorporate those beliefs into our modern society and, um, and that whatever you're going through, you're going to be okay. So that's that's what I would like them to gain. Wonderful. Where can someone go to buy your books, get more information about you, and keep up with your latest happenings? Yeah. So um, the my books are available. Where you know where all books are sold, you can get them on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, or um, your independent bookstore. If you um, you know many people prefer to buy their books that way, they won't necessarily have it on their shelves. I, that I'm sure, but they can order it for you. So wherever books are sold, you can you can get it. Um, it's available on uh, as an ebook, as a paper book, and um, uh, the Dream Stitcher is available as an audio book as well. But um, Synchronicities on the Avenue of the Saints does not have an audio book yet. Uh, hopefully that's coming. So, uh, yeah, I have a website, um, com, and it's spelled D-E-B-O-R-A-H-G-A-A-L.com, and there's more information on my website. And uh, if I if I update it, it'll actually have what's going on. But I, I have to admit to you, Johnny, I'm not the best at updating my website. But it's at least kind of sort of current right now Mm -hmm. if you go there. (laughs) Wonderful, wonderful. What is next for you? Um, Well, I'm working on a book um, that's a little amorphous to talk about, but it it is about the subject of birds and searching for spirituality in Newport Beach, which is kind of a little bit of an oxymoron. So... We'll see. This this one's also meant to be funny. We'll we'll see where it goes. <laughs> um. <laughs> when can we expect that? Um, well, please don't hold your breath. I'm a slow writer. <laughs> it took me it took me eight years to write Synchronicities on the Avenue of the Saints, and it took me eight years to write the Dream Stitcher. So I'm I'm hoping that my learning curve is going to shorten, but I'm I'm going to guess we got at least a few more years on this book. <laughs> hey, you just got to set aside every 
uh, every day a few hours to just daydream. <laughs> Thank you. Daydream with a purpose. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah, well that that I'm doing. So we'll we'll see. I'm 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 trying. I'm working hard here. <laughs> As we close this hour, since our show is about people, family, and living life, would you like to share a recipe for living with our listeners this morning? Yeah, so, um, gosh, you know, I think my husband will laugh hysterically if he knows that I've given you a recipe for life because he'll go, really, <laughs> you? For God's sakes. Um, okay. So one thing that my grandmother taught me, and I don't know why this is coming to the fore today, but she must be sitting behind me saying, don't forget this. But my grandmother and my mother also passed this down to me. And this sounds really silly, but it's actually important. And the saying was, you can't sit in two chairs at one time. And when I was a little girl, I thought that was pretty silly. I thought, well, of course you yeah. can't sit in two chairs in one time, you know? I mean, of course, mm-hmm. that's silly. But it really has a lot of meaning. So, um, you know, what that means is whatever you're devoted to doing, you really mm-hmm. you really have to devote yourself to that. You can't just, um, you know, be wishy-washy, go from one thing to the other. You've got to sit in one chair at a time. Can't sit in two, and I think that's something that I've actually struggled with my whole life because I've mm-hmm. gone from you know kind of one journey to the next, but mm-hmm. now I feel like I am firmly sitting in a chair, and I know that when I'm sitting there, that's the only chair I can be in at one time. So I'll pass that forward to your listeners. Maybe that will have some meaning for them. I love it. That's really wonderful. It's about being in the present moment, and there's so many takes to it because uh, you can't multitask. You just need to be focused on what you're doing at the moment. That's right. And I think it's also about be happy with what you're doing in the moment, and you can find joy in whatever that is um, Mm -hmm. by, you know, just finding purpose in it and just decide that this is where you are, this is where you need to be right now, and just sit there. And so um, and that's what I've been doing for the past hour. Mm-hmm, I've been mm-hmm. sitting in my one chair, Johnny. <laughs> <laughs> it's wonderful, been a delight wonderful. to talk to you. <laughs> that's wonderful. Deborah. thank you for the great recipe, for living and for spending this hour with me. To all our listeners, please join me next Tuesday morning, March 9th. My guest will be Alexis Thompson. She's the creator of the Tribal, Gra- Tribal Gratitude Journal, a keynote speaker, executive coach, a certified soul language practitioner, and a member of the Folks Council, Coaches Council. Her work is guided by her mission to create space, safe spaces for soul to show up. Alexis and I will be having a conversation about her remarkable life's journey and her latest book, The Power of a Graceful Leader. For additional information about this show and future shows, please go to FromMyMama'sKitchenTalkRadio.com. Thank you for listening and have a blessed week. Deborah, it has been a two pleasure. Thank you again and have a very blessed day. Thank you, Johnny. It was a pleasure for me. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.
With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.